Welcome back to the Fascinating Podcast. This is episode number 228. We're talking about Game of Thrones today with a very special guest. I'm J.R. Foresteros. I'm Kathy Kong. And I'm Clay Morgan. So uh, on this week's show, we're going to be mounting our dragons, heading off to Westeros uh, to meet our special guest, Andre Henry. And uh, don't worry, we are bringing lots of scratches for Ghost. So uh, <laughs> we're going to dive right into the episode. Our guest today is a writer, speaker, musician, and former pastor with a deep passion for racial justice. Uh, some call him a theologian, just to put that all in a neat little box. Uh, Andre Henry, welcome to the fascinating podcast. We are so excited to have you on. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, first question for all of our first-time guests, we would love to know what fascinates you generally in life? Uh, yeah, what fascinates me generally in life is really how do societies change? It's like what I read about in my spare time. <laughs> I love that. Talk a little more about that. <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with Game of Thrones at all, so it's totally... Social yeah. science. Well, no. actually, well, actually, it kind of does. Like, um, as I... I think that Game of Thrones is very much about this, um, which we can get into later. But I mean, Danny as a revolutionary and all their political relationships and stuff like that. So I tend to actually be kind of nerding out on that while I'm watching the show. Um, but when I'm not watching Game of Thrones, I'm typically like reading books about how political power works um, in a, on a popular level. Like how do ordinary people hold and wield power and how can they create change in their societies? Andre, are there famous classic works that you um, really look up to, or is it more recent stuff that oh, is on yeah, top there, of your mind? There are definitely classic things like um, Thoreau's Civil Disobedience, you know, that inspired Dr. King and Gandhi. Um, there's also, um, I've actually, I actually started like this project for myself a few years ago to just go back and see who are Dr. Martin Luther King's influences and to start mm -hmm. there and to read from there to present day. So um, I started with civil disobedience, with the kingdom of God is within you from Tolstoy, with Gandhi's autobiography. And I will say of those that I just named, civil disobedience is probably one of my favorites. Nice. It's a great project. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, obviously, we're going to have to have you back on the show at another point to talk more directly about uh, some of those things, because we are likewise fascinated by by that kind of stuff. Nice. Uh, but for now, we have eight seasons of Game of Thrones to get through. So, uh, so, so a few just sort of like general questions at the top of the show, uh, kind of for all of us. So, Andre, let's, uh, why don't you start us off? Uh, uh, kind of two questions here. When did you start watching the show? And then mm -hmm. did you also read the books? Okay. I did not read the books, um, but I have watched the – I watched – I've watched like the entire series several times <laughs> and several times. Yeah. about Like how many? Five. Okay. <laughs> Cause I'm like, that's allowed. Two, three, okay. Five. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Five. And I plan to do it again. Um, since now we have a new season and I started in 2014 when there were four seasons, there were four seasons in. So I binge watched the four, the four seasons and then started watching live from the fifth season on. Kathy, what about you? I am still trying to figure out how then you've managed to watch this series five times. That's amazing. Once a year, uh, Kathy. That's all. I, I actually don't remember when I started watching. Uh, I know that Peter and my daughter, Bethany started watching before I did. And then at some point the boys jumped in and I was horrified because I would peek in and be <laughs> like, oh my God, this is so violent. And it there's just a lot of, there are a lot of breasts <laughs> flying around and, and a lot of violence, which is not unusual with three men who play video games. So- mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know when I started watching, but it actually was our daughter, Bethany, who convinced me that I would enjoy the story. And I think it was maybe season five. So I was a late bloomer in this. And um, I have not read the books. I'm thinking about reading the books this summer but not five times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Clay, were you watching it before you moved down to Dallas? Nope. 
Okay. Yeah, I started with you. So that was pretty close to what Andre did. I started in 2015. That must have been probably this, yeah, probably that spring. So I guess there were about the same thing. What four seasons were probably in the books by that point. I did the rewatch and caught up, I think, in time for season five then. So five, six, seven, eight. Is that it? I watched four seasons as it came. Yeah, I never read the books. And then I binged those seasons. I think I, I watched it through definitely fully twice. I came, I started on a third time. Um, but I've, I've not done a full third rewatch for sure all the way through. Uh, so I watched the first episode, having not read the books, and I immediately knew Amanda, my wife, would like the show. And she was working a second shift job at the time that was coming to an end in like a, two months. So I was like, well, I'll just wait, watch it with her. Uh, in the interim time, I picked up the first book and read the entire first book uh, before we got to the show. And so then when we watched the show, I was reading kind of ahead of or right behind having read the first book. So then I read the rest of the books between seasons one and two. And Amanda and I, along with our, our housemate in Ohio, Jesse, would rewatch the entire show before the new season came out. So we watched rewatched season one before season two. We rewatched seasons one and two before season three. Did the same thing for season four. So by the time we got to Dallas, we had seen the whole show uh, you know, however many times, like iteratively, that that comes out to, uh, and and then yeah, like I I I was one of those people that finished book five and it said coming next year, book six, and it was very excited, and then you know we're still waiting, so uh, <laughs> that's it. Uh, so when was, was that? When was that that you finished that book? Oh, I think that book came out in 2014 oh. or 2013. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time. Mm. So, um, okay, so so. Before we dive into some of the the big the big discussions in the show, I'm curious. You know, one of the things this the show is famous for is subverting expectations and for creating those like big big moments that make social media explode. So I'm curious what maybe one or two of your like all time favorite moments from the show were things that you just like still remember experiencing that for the first time. Uh, Andre, what what would you say one or two of those are for you? Uh, yeah, well. <laughs> I know that this is really recent, but I mean, obviously Arya killing the Night King is like probably the the most memorable thing of the show for me. Mm. Uh, before that episode, my favorite episode was the Battle of the Bastards um, mm. because I mean, I've watched that episode itself many times just because at first I was like, how did they get that? How did they end up with that big mound of dead bodies behind them? <laughs> <laughs> how did they do that yeah, and I, was like, I, have to, I have to know <laughs> um, so i watched that over and over again to try to get a feel a sense of how it ended up being a mountain of dead bodies behind uh the the, the northman so that one is super uh memorable for me and Wait, did you ever figure it out okay so here's my here's what i think here's the, here's the most the sense that i can make of it and i think that you still have to suspend disbelief in order for this to make sense. But uh, Ramsey knew exactly what he was doing when he sent Rickon out into the battlefield. He knew that Jon Snow would go out there. And so um, since Jon ran out there to try to save Rickon, you know, everybody charges. And while they're charging, remember, they're shooting arrows. So they're like trying to like, it seems like they're trying to uh, keep hitting the Northmen at the same spot on the field, right? So that, so that the bodies pile up. Now, they, <laughs> they do that slick thing with the camera where it's like, now we're gonna wash away and wash back and now there's a mountain because they know it doesn't make sense. But I think that, that <laughs> I think that that's what they're trying to communicate to us there. Now can you explain how two people could be crushed under a bunch of rocks, but then only be under one very thin layer of rocks? <laughs> <laughs> No, I cannot. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Clay, what are what are a couple of your big moments? Um, yeah, well, there's probably a couple of moments that everybody remembers, really shocking ones. But the you know before you get to even the execution of Ned in season one, which is one of those real big oh my goodness moments, especially if you haven't read the books. 
Um, I mean, just at the end of the first episode, Bran getting pushed out the window. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's 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 like right off the bat in the first episode, the shocking moment of what? Uh-huh. This, those two are twins, and that's and then uh, uh, what is happening? <laughs> They're doing what? what? Where? Yeah, and yeah. It, you know, especially when you held out for four seasons, and it's like, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. Like. <laughs> You are in, like, real deep, real fast. So I'm curious, and, uh, all of you came to the show after mm-hmm. season one's big big twist with Eddard, after the Red Wedding. Were these things, did you know what was happening, or did you did you still preserve the shock of those moments? Well, since you filmed me watching it for the first time oh, without knowing, right, you, you know the answer for me. Oh, how funny. <laughs> I had to, Is I, that available somewhere? Yeah, I'll see if I can find it. It's, it's got to be. I, I, I was pretty good. I, I I basically was like under a blanket, and I think by the time the scene ended, I had pulled the blanket almost <laughs> completely over my eyeballs, just in shock. I didn't realize I was being recorded by Jr. and Amanda. And as soon as the episode ended, they were like, "Well, we gotta go," and I had to like call said friend Jesse up in Dayton, Ohio, just for some some red wedding therapy. Oh my god! Because I did not know that was gonna happen. <laughs> oh, that's funny, <laughs> Andre. What about you? Was that were those spoiled for you or? Oh, like Ned's Ned's uh, death and stuff like that. Yeah, and the red wedding and all that. No, so I, the first time I watched it, I watched it by myself. So <laughs> <laughs> there was no there was no one to spoil anything for me the first time. And and, and no you just it, it hadn't like <laughs> penetrated your social media bubble or no? You know what I mean? okay, okay, so I, I I can't verify this, but none of my black friends that I knew had watched Game of Thrones at that time you know like at least it wasn't like something that everyone was talking about dem thrones was not yet uh amazing hashtag to follow yeah as far as i know that wasn't a thing yet um and so i remember okay this is like this is true story i have an issue like when i'm watching shows that are only white people like it's hard for me actually to track it's like really yeah like it's yes i know what you're yeah it's almost like they may as well be speaking like you know, some language that I don't know, right? Like they, they may as well be speaking Greek the whole time. So the first episode, I literally had no idea what was going on. And then I saw a brand get pushed out the window and I had absolutely no, no, I, I have no clue why that <laughs> happened. I was like, wait, I just sat here for an hour. I have no idea what's going on, but they, all, but they killed that little boy and I have to know what happens next. <laughs> and so that's how I kind of got hooked. So that's amazing. Um, but no, no, no spoilers for me the first time. And I imagine, Andre, in addition to the disconnect from it being all white, like it's a really confusing show. I, I don't know how you, people watch it without like someone to explain. Because you, you can't even understand half the names, half the people and everything. So that's a lot of disconnects. And a lot of people, they're introducing the first, you know, that first episode. Like I think they introduce... They, the Starks for sure, the Lannisters, I think, are in that first episode. Daenerys is definitely in that first episode. There's just a lot of storylines already that they begin with. Mm-hmm. There are so many white people. <laughs> so I I remember when we were watching the Red Wedding episode, uh, Jesse and I had already read the books, and Amanda is addicted to spoilers, so she insisted on knowing what happened. And there was one other person watching with us, our friend Kristen, who didn't know what was happening. And so the episode ended, and the three of us were like, whew, that was, yep, as, like, wow, that, they, woo, you know, but we we knew that it was happening. Our friend did not, and she cussed real loud and, then, <laughs> and looked at us, and we all obviously already had been, at like, somewhat emotionally prepared for that moment, and she, like, lit into us for not warning her to prepare herself. <laughs> but how does one prepare for that? I mean, like, how would I, how would you tell someone? <laughs> Get <yeah>. ready. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm I'm in, I'm insanely spoiler averse. So I was just thinking about your question, Jr. Like, how was that not a thing in your feed? Especially because we were always all over pop culture. But I'm so spoiler averse that even when I'm not watching a show, there's the chance that one day I will watch the show, and I don't want to know. So I actually do remember like things would come through and I would hurry up and f- and skip by it so I wouldn't have any context just mm-hmm. in case I ever watched the show. So that's how I managed yeah, to skip. Um, <laughs> Kathy, what about you? It was like a, a major moment that you think is going to stick with you. Oh, well, there were two. 
that I think of right off the top of my head. The first one was um, Daenerys eating the stallion's heart. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know why, but it just was like, oh my God. And what is that? Like, is that a big gummy thing? (laughs) She didn't go full Leo for it with the the bison liver or whatever. Yeah, right? Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. No. I never Googled it, but I was like, oh, my God. And and just the idea of, like, her having to prove herself to be part of and accepted in. Mm-hmm. I just, I was like, oh, man. And then when she, you know, essentially gives birth to the dragons mm-hmm. um, and comes out. Well, and I kind of th- thought that that was happening, but the whole fire thing and funeral pyre and... Uh, so yeah, and then she walks out and you know, birthday suit and dragons which again makes me wonder why John <laughs> did not I mean his clothes didn't burn in the final episode. Mm. I don't understand. <laughs> so weird. It is weird. Um I I think one of my favorite a favorite's like a weird way to say it, but when uh, <laughs> the the fight between the viper and the mountain, mm-hmm. oh. um, the whole thing. I mean, I, I I felt like they were able to do the Indigo Montoya uh, <laughs> thing with with somehow without it being silly, you know. Yeah. Um, and and again, like it was just such a perfect illustration of what I think the show once upon a time did really well, which was you have a character who has this like this fatal flaw and you all, you love them for that flaw, but that's the very thing that brings them down. Mm. You know, same thing with Eddard, right? Like the reason mm-hmm. everyone likes Eddard Stark is because he's so stinking noble. Mm-hmm. Like he's the, he's the, he's the captain always does the right thing. And that's exactly like, that's exactly his downfall. And it was the same thing with, with the, the Viper, which again, I think Pedro Pascal played him just so magnificently. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was just so, <laughs> Awful and and very well done uh, on every level, from the action to the to the technical stuff. Uh, and then the next day, uh, the actor who plays the mountain posted a picture on his Instagram of those two actors like smiling and standing arm in arm. And of course, like he's like three times the size of any other living human. But mm-hmm. I just remember that whole thing being like really, really a great experience. So. Yeah. You know, it's one of the things that I, I remember watching with you, Jr. Like so angry that Joffrey got to just keep living. Oh, and yeah. I, I was like, "Why is everybody dying in the show except him?" And it, <laughs> that character made me so angry. And then mm-hmm. when he, yeah, I don't feel like a great memory or satisfaction of when he finally did die. Maybe I did when I watched it, but th- well, they he still had that ability to kind of like make it so dark. Oh, I mean, it's it was a little disturbing how when he died in the show, fans of the show were actively saying, like, it wasn't bad enough. <laughs> like, he didn't suffer <laughs> enough. Like, they, <laughs> I remember that. It's just going like, whoa, wow. Like, I understand the impulse, but y'all are, y'all need some help. <laughs> it's a little dark. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting how the show does bring that out of a lot of people, though. Like, because that's a complaint throughout. Right. Like even with Cersei's death too later on, like people are like, wait, like we wanted to see her like get her, get her throat slit or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because there are other characters in the show that are redeemed by their suffering. Uh, I think the two most notable are Jamie Lannister and Theon Greyjoy, Mm -hmm. uh, both of whom early in the show are hated deeply and passionately and then become fan favorites. And I think it's explicitly because we watch them suffer. Uh, you know, Jamie gets his hand cut off and has to, you know, um, basically be taken care of by Brienne. And then mm-hmm. um, Theon, everything that happens with him and Ramsey. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, it was just, it, <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was interesting. <laughs> Well, we got to give one nod to one of the best deaths, maybe the best death on the show, Olena Tyrell. Oh, yeah. 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 So cold. Gangster. Oh, man. Yeah. That that actress was just staggering. Mm -hmm. And the way she delivered lines and everything. So good. All right. uh, So let's start diving into some stuff. I'm curious, Andre. uh, 
like how how I guess we say we're recording this like four days after the the finale. Like, how satisfied are you overall with season eight and with the way the show ended? Uh, uh, I'm surprisingly satisfied with the way that the show ended. Um, I'm more satisfied than I thought I was going to be. Um, the season as a whole, okay, a scale of one to ten, I'm probably like somewhere around six or seven. Okay. How did you think you would feel about the end because <laughs> you said you're you know you were yeah i almost didn't watch the last episode <laughs> <laughs> okay, i don't say blame more. you Why? yeah yeah i almost didn't watch the last episode because okay um after the battle of winterfell those two episodes like where they kill masande which so i have a friend named gabe and he called me before it aired the, I, th- I guess that's episode four. And he was like, Andre, this is what's going to happen tonight. Grey Worm and Masande are going to die. And if that happen- happens, then forget this show. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because like, um, because, you know, Masande being one of the, one of the only women of color on the show. And, we don't, I don't feel like we got to know her very well either during the show. Right. You know, that she was used kind of like as this pawn, you know, to for character development for Daenerys. Which, Daenerys, yeah. Right. And so when, so first off, I, I didn't see that coming, even though Gabe said that to me before it happened. But then when it did happen, I was like, oh my gosh. I kind of agree. <laughs> I kind of agree. I already kind of felt some kind of way with the Dothraki kind of like disappearing entirely on yeah. Uh, in, yeah. in episode three, which they took it back the next episode. Like, oh no, right. only half. Um, we lied. Yeah, but we didn't see half of them come back. So, so there was already this progression. So after after it was clear that they killed Masande so that Danny would snap, basically. Um. I just kind of lost faith in what was going to happen. I was like, this just seems like irredeemable for a second. Especially when Danny like kills all those innocent people in King's Landing. I was just like, this feels like a different show to me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought, I thought that John was probably going to sit on the Iron Throne, that final episode. So that was kind of why I was like, eh, you know, I don't need to see that. But they definitely, they, they definitely surprised me with Bran. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who could have predicted that? Literally, no one. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not alone. I'm sure on that one that there were a lot of people after the second to last episode that were, <laughs> that were like, I'm not watching the end. Yeah, yeah. Now, Clay, you seemed more. Oh, uh, I'm basing this on our, our, our ongoing group thread. You seemed more positive on the season overall. How did you yeah, feel so about the finale? What's, what's interesting from my experience um, is that I was so excited for this season. You know, I, I, I said that before it started. Like, this is so epic. I can't wait to get started. The first episode, Winterfell, I thought was great. Really enjoyed that and rewatching, seeing everybody come to Winterfell, um, anticipating the big secret being revealed to both John and, you know, and then Danny. Um, the second episode was really some of the best work, obviously, in the last two years. Um, that they've done and then the long night came and i was so excited about that and and i was entertained yes i get some of the problems and some of the story problems and obviously this is you know like george r, r. martin himself said that the last two books are probably three thousand manuscript pa- uh, pages and here they are pushing all this into six episodes um it, it did really start to struggle in the fourth and fifth fifth episode. And so my experience, like really without the emotion that a lot of people who maybe are book readers or who really felt uh, more attached than I guess I did in the end to the show, um, my experience became one of for episodes uh, five and five and six, especially was I just didn't have any more excitement. I was really curious. I was still, you know, ready to watch right. and interested, but like it, I didn't have that eagerness in me. So, I didn't come away from it like, wow, you know, I've watched shows end where I like felt things and was really excited. So it was kind of like, hmm, like head nod, interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. So so seeing that emotional progression, that's how it impacted me. So this, the series is flawed 
uh, in the end, but it, it's also fine. Like I was entertained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't as um, emotionally invested. And I think in part because I came to the show late. Mm-hmm. And I also think that for me, the binge watching, uh, it is less about me paying attention to character development, story arc. And it is very much like, I just need to numb myself for a while. <laughs> Fire and blood. <laughs> yes, that's right. In a very violent sort of way. <laughs> but I, I, we were talking about this um, the other day. So my middle child, my 19-year-old Corbin and I were talking because he was asking if I had um, how I felt differently about Game of Thrones than I did about Lost. Mm. And Lost was a TV show that I, Peter and I had watched from the beginning And most nights we would try to watch it live. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so there was this, it, I was invested in it differently than I would say the rest of my family was invested Mm -hmm. in Game of Thrones. And so how they approached it was a little different. Um, I wish this last season had been more episodes. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I just, I felt like the six episodes didn't right. do didn't help justice. Yeah, <laughs> it really didn't. It really didn't. Well, but but again, I think compare the first two episodes, which were slow, and mm-hmm. where we didn't. I mean, we didn't even basically leave Winterfell hardly at all. Yeah, um, not at all in the second episode, but barely in the first episode. To the last four episodes, well, the last three episodes, I guess, because the one is the battle. But then, like, the last three episodes where it's like they go from Dragonstone to King's Landing in a cut, you know? And there's <laughs> right. like, that's like months of travel where right. maybe they could have given us some more scenes with Masande and Danny or. I, or Danny and her, how she's feeling like her rule is precarious or and, like and, literally anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. Yeah, I, and instead, I, th- I think they just wanted to finish it. Anyway, sorry, Kathy, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. I agree. Even in this last episode, when Tyrion is brought out and he's there in... <laughs> I don't even know the name of that space. Oh, yeah, right? the dragon pit or something like that. Yes, the dragon pit, that pit. And I thought to myself... Is this a dream? <laughs> like, is he is he dreaming? Is he confused? Is he dehydrated? <laughs> because I just I was so confused. Like, oh, oh, we've jumped ahead in time again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did everyone get here so fast? <laughs> Jr. What were your thoughts on season eight? <laughs> Well, okay, so honestly, and I hate to sound like a snooty book reader, but you could tell that the show changed into something different when they moved past the books. Uh, and I've seen there's actually some of our listeners on Twitter and Facebook have been uh, pointing to me to an article that we'll put into the show notes where people have been making a distinction between sociological storytelling and psychological storytelling, mm. mm-hmm. uh, which, Andre, I was really interested to get your take on because, yeah, I would agree that the first five seasons of the show are much more about what power is and how power functions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas the, again, the last three seasons have been much more about how people feel inside Mm. and, and how they respond to the world based on that. Interesting. Um, I also think you get a bunch, we started getting a bunch of narrative shortcuts and we started getting things that happened because they were surprising, but not because not in the the way that's satisfying, uh, like the red wedding, like when the red wedding happens, everyone was like, what? But you, you look back and you're like, well, yeah, in retrospect, that makes sense. You know, it, it it works. Same thing with the Viper. Like when he got killed, Mm -hmm. like it hurt so much because you knew that if, he had a hundred chances to do that fight. It would have ended the same way every time. Mm. Like it, he, he didn't, it, it wasn't a fluke or an accident. It was like a flaw in his character. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
Yeah, and I think we just we that's what we're missing. And I think when people keep saying, "I wish we had more space," that's what we're asking for. We're like, we need these reversals and these shocks to feel more like narrative twists than they do right now. Like, I don't know anyone that saw Danny's snap and said, "Yeah, that that feels right." Mm. Like, plenty of people talked about how it was foreshadowed, and yeah, of, of course it was. Uh, literally every person that's ever come against her in the show, she's threatened to burn. Mm-hmm. So, okay, yeah, but. No one in those moments like believed that that was the choice that she would make. I don't think I've encountered anyone, you know. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm curious. You know, you mentioned earlier one of the reasons you like Game of Thrones so much, Andre, is because, um, because it's it's all about these power lines. Is there anything specific you want to talk about? I and mean, I'm trying to leave it open ended, just so you can kind of go wherever you want with that, if if that's okay. Well, yeah, you mentioned a few things, and so I think what's really interesting is that. At the end, they make Danny very clearly like this uh, revolutionary who believes that the only way that she can bring about change is if power is monolithic and she holds it. You know, she doesn't even really want John to rule with her until episode six. You know, but up until then, she was even saying to John, like, just don't tell anyone, you know, who you are because she wants to rule. And I think that they could have definitely teased that out because that was the trajectory that she was on. And it wasn't surprising that she, um, it wasn't surprising necessarily that, that she would come to that conclusion. But the way that they got there, you know, from, from season seven to, to there was just, I don't know, it was too fast. It felt very rushed. Um, but I remember watching her, especially in season seven, in When She Meets John. <clears throat> and immediately she's just, you know, kind of the whole season she's saying, John needs to bend the knee. Um, I'm going to take what's mine, which she had said that in season two. But I feel like for most, for the most part, she didn't use that language about what she was doing. You know, a lot of the language was about being this breaker of chains and a liberator in that way, like on the side of the people kind of thing. And so I think especially like when I started thinking, well, I've been thinking about power the whole time, but I think it became very clear between season seven and season eight, when she has these new meetings in Westeros that she had not perfected throughout the whole season, the art of actually like politicking, right? Like, like you said, she threatens everyone that crosses her (laughs) with burning her, (laughs) with burning them, right? You know? Yeah, um, she's like, can we do this my way? No, I'm going to light you on fire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was so frustrated with her in season seven with John because I'm like, you've given this man nothing so that he can trust you, right? Or, or to, that, he sh- that he would want to bow and all that other kind of thing, which he tells her, I don't know you, right? Um, she has to be talked into giving him the dragon glass kind of thing. And then she does the same thing when she gets to Winterfell. Like she tries very softly, like to give Sansa a compliment. And then right after is like, well, she doesn't respect me. She doesn't seem like she's going to bow to me, you know? Um, so anyway, I've kind of rambled on and on, but I've thought about how the thing, like it didn't seem like Daenerys really understood that her power comes from, you know, other people, you know? And um, because she was depending so heavily on the fact that she had three dragons and she could do whatever she wants. Well, what did you make of that? She, she said it in, was it episode? It was one of the last three episodes that it might've been episode four when she's having that conversation with John and she said, all, you know, all I have is fear. I don't have any love anymore or something like that. And, you know, for these reasons, like they're not going to, the people are not going to love me like they love you. I'm not going to be able to, you know, she, she, she has a monologue there that she's thinking about it and talking right. through it. She does, you're right. And I, I forgot about that, that she does have that, that moment, but I feel like that moment happened so suddenly, right? Like oh, for sure. For, yeah. Uh, it's not artful, but that's yeah. what, I think that's what they were trying to do, but she is like, articulating how, something. How did like, she, how did she just all of a sudden come to that conclusion? Yeah. Especially with the, like you said, like it takes an entire season for Ned Stark to die. Like he spends that, <laughs> he, he spends that whole season setting himself up to die because he doesn't want to play the game. Right. Um, and so, but Danny goes this whole, like, okay, in season seven, she says to um, everyone at Highgarden, 
or in the reach. I can't remember where they were. Um, but it's the it's the episode where she takes Drogon and burns up all these Lannister forces and stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she gives that huge speech to everyone and says, Cersei Lannister has told you that I've come here to burn down your houses and all this other kind of stuff. That's not me, that's Cersei Lannister, right? Um, how does she get from how does she get from this entire arc where she has not really spoken in that way of understanding that she needs the people to be on her side to rule? She needs the great houses of Westeros to be on her side. This is something other people tell her. And, and even in Marine or in Slaver's Bay, remember she has the opportunity to show that one guy mercy for killing the son of the harpy and she doesn't. And mm-hmm. all, the, all the people are in front of her saying, mercy, mercy, mercy. You know? And she goes against the will of the people. Now this is like, this is exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about with people power, with social movements, all this kind of stuff. At the at the base is that is that obedience is at the heart of political power, and so you don't want to do something against the will of the entire crowd in front of you of your people saying mercy, mercy, mercy. Like that's a that's a terrible move, and so we see Daenerys as that kind of character for seven and a half seasons, and then all of a sudden, in this moment with Jon Snow, she realizes, well, I don't have love. <laughs> like it just <laughs> that's why it's so forgettable. <laughs> because, yeah, I don't, I don't have love here. I had it over in Essos or wherever. Right, you know, but that's why yeah. it's so forgettable. I think yeah. is because she has not operated with that kind of uh, shrewdness throughout the entire series. So, if George R. R. Martin intended to do this, you know, whatever these big plot points, or, or this is ultimately where these characters end up. It, like JR always says, it's going to feel a lot different after he spends those two books getting us there. That's going to be so, it's such an interesting pop culture thing. And, and Kathy or Andre, I don't know if you guys are going to start reading the books based on this, but JR, as a book reader, like, what do you do with the fact that this is over, but it's really not over and we might still see the same ending, but it's such a different way? That's so fascinating to me. And now Martin writes it with all of this popular opinion out there it's such a weird thing well one of the things i think uh, i'm i'm surmising about george based on what he's saying in interviews is that he he has his ending in mind and he knows how he wants to get there and he's he's not gonna change it uh he actually sort of lightly chastised the showrunners for making decisions based on people figuring things out you know, and he was like, look, if you like, uh, for instance, one of the big mysteries in, in the show for a long time and in the books was who John really is. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and book readers figured it out because, again, we've been waiting for six years with nothing else to do. Well, that's why Benioff and Weiss got the show because they could right, tell. Right. They could tell it's, who that's, it's all in there. Right. And so Martin has said, he's like, well, yeah, if you figure it out, cool, you're going to figure it out. And I'm not going to like all of a sudden change it because it's not in there. Or because, you know, I don't, I didn't, I wanted to stay ahead of the readers. He, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I really think we're going to get, we're going to get Martin's vision of the end. Now, again, how, how closely it lines up with these characters, we don't know. Maybe it's going to end up still being Bran on the Iron Throne and that's it. Or maybe not, you know, there's just, I don't know that we can, obviously we can't, we can't tell until at least book six gets out and we get a little bit closer. But there are so many, like, that's the other thing. There are so many characters in the books that are major players that are not anywhere close to where they are right now. Like, everything with Sansa is different. Like, mm-hmm. super different. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point that she she was never married to Ramsay Bolton. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, she, uh, there's another woman, her name's Jane Poole, and she's married to Ramsay, and Ramsay has told every, like, the, the Boltons have told everyone it's Sansa. But I it's see. not like Sansa's in hiding elsewhere, and that's so. I mean, like that. We're talking like that level of difference. Um, Interesting. And so, John, are you still looking forward to reading? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. There was a rumor that went around for like five minutes before Martin squished it, and it came from the guy that played Sir Barristan the Bold, uh, and he said that Martin had finished the, the last two books and had made an agreement with with HBO not to release them until the series was finished. And so for about five minutes, a bunch of us were expecting that like yesterday, <laughs> book six and seven were going <laughs> to And then Martin, and then, and then Martin came out and was like, absolutely. That is not true. hundred percent. Not true. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, like I would have literally dropped everything taken an immediate two week vacation <laughs> and like finished the books. And I totally believe it. 
Yeah. Uh, totally believe it. Well, but again, like Martin, what Martin is doing is what we were getting in the first five seasons of the show, which was this very careful, intricate plotting that's not, it's, it is about the characters, but it's much more about what Andre was talking about, like power and where power resides and how power functions. And, you know, it's, it's. Uh, one of the reasons that Danny was tra- like she kind of in the books, people have been complaining that she's still over in Marine instead of coming back to Westeros. And it's mm-hmm. because Martin's trying to get her out of there believably mm-hmm. uh, because she she in her own minds, which we can go ahead and move into talking about this. She sees herself as their savior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so right. like she feels an obligation, like a, a paternal obligation to them or a maternal obligation to them mm-hmm. uh, to not abandon her children. Um, so speaking of that, <laughs> uh, from early in the show, Danny has functioned as a white savior trope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm curious, I, again, I'm so interested cause y'all came into the show like a couple of seasons after some of this started being talked about. Was there a specific moment in the show that you can recall it becoming apparent and problematic to you? Oh, for me, I'll tell you what it was for me was when I don't even remember which, which, city it was that she liberated but it was where like a giant sea of brown people were yeah. Yeah. surfing her and yeah. calling her mother yeah yes that was so that was that was the last shot of one of the seasons that was like right. season three i think yeah and so watching it in real time like that's like fade to credits no more game of thrones for a year and the whole internet was like wow really <laughs> <laughs> yeah like how obvious do you need to be well and like did did no one see what was wrong with this like, like, you didn't have one person that was like, uh, yeah. This, yeah, the optics on this aren't great. Well, this is partly why I felt like, like I said, like where Danny ends up is not altogether surprising to me, mm-hmm. but the way that they did it was so rushed because they could have really played that out because the way that I, and I haven't read the book, so I can only go off of what I saw in the series, but Danny in Slaver's Bay did not seem interested in the people that she ruled at all. Like she doesn't have close, she doesn't have any like affiliations with, you know, common people. She's not like Marjorie who's like going out to visit an or- orphanage or something like that in Marine or, or wherever. And this is, I think, part of the tension that they tried to play out when they had the one character, I can't remember his name, who was saying, you crucified all the masters without even asking like if everyone was in support of slavery in this city. You canceled the fighting pits, but it's actually a tradition of ours and we kind of value it, you know? And when um, Yara and Theon come to visit her and she's just like, listen, your entire, your entire people group is just going to stop doing everything. And <laughs> it's just going to stop living the way that they have for centuries. And even though like, even if you can agree that like, they shouldn't be like stealing and raping and those kind of stuff, like the way that Danny positions herself is just like, my way is correct. I don't need to, I don't need to ingratiate myself to you in any way whatsoever. It's just my way, the highway kind of thing. And I think that all of that kind of became apparent from that episode, like where she is crowd surfing on a bunch of like brown people's hands. <laughs> um, like from then on, like, I think that those were things that were easy to miss, like from there, but they were like little hints along the way. Culture crusher. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and it's there's that. I uh, It's interesting from that comment and some of the stuff you were saying earlier, like, yeah, Danny, Danny seems to operate with a strong sense i mean not seems like she offers a strong sense of entitlement not just that i'm a targaryen so the iron throne should be mine but like i am innately worthy of your love and devotion and you should give it to me simply because i exist and i have the right way to view the world and justice and what is right and wrong right and so yeah. there is yeah. this kind of thing of like the way that i think about this is normative and she creates this like hegemony in that way okay so that's interesting because in the first season she is a victim of trafficking right right like her brother literally sells her to buy an army so is that is that bad writing or is that does that have something to tell us oh well so even that scene of her eating the stallion's heart i remember thinking oh she's she's like She's like the white friend who gets 
lots of cookies for trying the exotic food. <laughs> right? She put it on her Instagram. It was like, OMG, had a horse yeah. art today. Hashtag Dothraki. <laughs> right, right. Like, ooh, look at this gross food I tried while I was overseas on my missions trip kind of moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is different, obviously, being on a missions trip versus being trafficked. Um, but there is still something around that and who Danny is that, in that moment becomes problematic mm, mm-hmm. because she then is given um, a pass or honorary Dothraki uh, status and then takes that power without remembering how she ended up there. Mm, mm-hmm. And, and I think that's where the, she, she was fine when people without power either loved or feared her, Yes. right? Because we assume that they loved her, but there's also this unexplored element of fear mm-hmm. when the person who has, quote, you know, saved you <laughs> isn't part of who you are they aren't part of your community. So you, you still don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. So if all you've, your own experience is being enslaved, how do you know that this person who has killed all of these people has good intentions, even though that's what she says. Right. So I think, right. So all along, I do think that like you, Andre, I, I wasn't like, of course she, that's where it was headed. Mm-hmm. And it's always been my way or the highway. Mm-hmm. And and I also could not stop thinking of missionaries, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Mm. It's really troubling. No, I think of like, so I, I think of Danny as like, she's the white friend that's like, well, I used to get bullied in high school because I went to an oh, all God, yes. high school. Yes. And so I, I totally understand what you people go through. You know what I mean? Like, yes. So... Yes, she did have a very traumatic experience being married to Khal Drogo. But she also benefited from the patriarchy among the Dothraki. And that is a part of that. You know, it's like when she was able to become Khal Drogo's wife, you know, in some sense. Yes. You know, she was kind of grandfathered into power. Because in all these other Dothraki tribes, like what happened in that uh, tribe would not have happened, right? Is, I, is, the, is the thing that I'm thinking they're trying to suggest to us when she gets back to Vias Dothrak, right? And they're like, you should have been here as soon as he died. Like, how did you not end up being brought here with the other wid- widows of the dead calls, right? So I see Daenerys as actually in a, in a very close way, like occupying the space that many white women do in real life as being, yes, oppressed by men, um, but also being beneficiaries of, you know, the patriarchy of, of white men as well. And I think that she plays that out, like, throughout her thing. And one thing to Kathy's point um, is that w- they missed an opportunity on this show to really develop the, the people of color that were with her, you know, because they could have been having some of these conversations about how Danny relates to their culture and how do they really feel, like, do they love her entirely? Are they afraid of her somewhat, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Andrea, what's so interesting about that point you just made, there was one big season, one scene. Remember when Danny is back, basically she's been abducted by the Dothraki and Tyrion and Varys are trying to run things without letting anybody know. Yeah. And they have to go make that deal with the Lords of, I don't know if it's Essos or wherever. Uh And, And Missendi and Grey Worm are in the room. And Tyrion's doing diplomacy mm-hmm. and, and they react the way they do. And they're like, you, you're just making compromises and you're just giving them away and you don't understand them. They're terrible. The only time they actually deal with that conversation, Danny's not even there. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, it would have been so interesting. I, I would love to know if when they sat, because again, we should all remember, this is not a documentary, right. um, nor are any of these places or people's real. So, like, they made a choice to cast the Unsullied, the ethnicity they did. And 
the Targaryens, the ethnicity they did. Right. Um, in fact, in the books, the Targaryens all have purple eyes and silver hair. <laughs> and they actually, when they first announced the show, one of the big things they said was like, sorry, there's not going to be purple eyes and silver hair. We just can't make it work. Um, so all of that to say, like, I wonder if they even had a conversation about like what ethnicities should the various peoples be, mm. you know, because I think my suspicion is they did not. It was, mm. it was the Westerosi people are white, obviously. And the foreign people are Brown, obviously. Like right. what else would they be? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so given that they end up with these, Convert they the show ends up f- like echoing these real world power dynamics mm-hmm. in ways that I don't think that the showrunners were prepared to address. Well, right. Do you think the show would have been different had it got started, let's say, in twenty fifteen or sixteen? <sighs> I don't know, man. Like I honestly, <laughs> based on what we got in season eight, no. <laughs> yeah, right. What did they start at twenty eleven? Um. Yeah, I don't know. I think that, I mean, honestly, if, if I could just be candid, I just, I don't think that, I think a lot of white people give themselves passes on things like this, right? Like, it isn't something that comes to a lot of white people's minds to begin with, like to think, okay, we need to be careful about this. Um, Say it. And then, and then <laughs> when you bring it up, it's like, well, I wasn't intending to do that. <laughs> you know? So... That's not what we meant. Yeah, exactly. Right, so I don't, right. I don't know that it would have made any difference. I mean, mind you, and here's, here's case in point. When did they start talking about doing Confederate? Wasn't that just like 26? Oh, gosh, yeah. Like yeah. So, yeah. So no, it wouldn't have made a difference. Right. <laughs> and that, that's point. the same showrunners, yeah, who, who said, what if we told a crazy story about the South winning the Civil War? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And remind me, that got canceled? Uh, the, the idea it, got It stopped. was announced with much fanfare. And then again, everyone on the internet was like, really? And then they just literally didn't ever talk about it again. Yeah, it just hasn't come up. So it might still be in production or it might have been shelved. Like, it it literally has not been mentioned again. Yeah. So. So it's possible it could show up. Again. Yeah. Yeah they're, yeah. they're probably waiting for that moment that all white people think happens when racism goes away. And so this would be safe for them to do it. Right. I mean, well, we the- thought that happened a few years ago, remember? Yeah, in the heyday of the Black Lives Matter movement. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, so one final question, because I know we're running out of time. Um, Danny's goal was to break the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that the establishment of the Westerosi Electoral College was the <laughs> answer, as Tyrion proclaimed? <laughs> Is the wheel broken? No. <laughs> nah. Also, Wait, what can go wrong from- in an electoral system? <laughs> it's a republic of Westeros. Where, where you don't give all of the people a voice, just the ones who already have power. Yeah, they laugh Sam Tarly off of that platform. <laughs> We're suggesting that the people should be able to choose their leaders. That's right, because um, the horses will get a vote, and then what ha- What will happen? Do you think that now the three-eyed raven will always be the king? Well, this is a question I have. Like, now, how does the succession on that work now? Like, I thought the three-eyed raven supposed to be, like, sitting in a tree collecting memories, you know? So He was, like, what, a two, 5,000 years old or something? Oh. No, that was, that was his whole warning to Brant. He kept ripping him out of the memories because... The original Three-Eyed Raven, Max von Sydow, got so into the past that he stood there for a thousand years and the tree grew through him. So he was trying to tell Bran, don't do that. You have to always be able to get out of it so you don't get stuck like me. I see. Don't be a tree. I see. Well, we'll never know. (laughs) On on the wheel wheel comment, I, I don't know, really. I feel like in some ways it's definitely different. Um... I don't think Danny was breaking the wheel at all. Like as soon as she, like the Iron Throne is the spoke of the wheel. So the fact that she was even going for it, like is you're just contradicting yourself. It's just imperial talk to say one thing while you're doing the exact opposite, you know? Um, yeah, like they really blew up her whole vision of what liberation was, right? She's like, we did, her speech in the final episode is basically, oh my gosh, we did it there and now we're going to do it here. We're going to go liberate, liberate, liberate. And yeah. Yeah, it's by that point, it's 
pretty far gone. It was very like George W. Bush, right? She's just like, we're going to go yeah. and like fight terrorism all over Westeros. <laughs> and then the world. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are we're running short on time. Andre, it has been such a an honor to have you on with us. I, I could listen to you talk about this stuff uh, all day. Oh my gosh, my um, pleasure. So, tell us where where do you hang out online if folks want to follow what you do? Um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm on Twitter a lot at Andre Henry. Um, I'm on Instagram as well a lot at the Andre Henry. And but um, more than anything else, I I have a mailing list through my website. Uh, AndreRHenry.com, where I send out uh, an email every Saturday. And that is that uh, is that always specifically about anti-racism? Yeah, it's about anti-racism and social change. So I don't know if y'all are familiar with Seth Godin or people who are listening would be familiar with Seth Godin, but yes. I've always liked oh, Seth yeah. Godin's blog. And for those who aren't familiar, it's like these really bite-sized like blogs about marketing, like 60 to 100 word blogs. And so I wanted to do something like that around racial justice. So that's what the vibe is. Nice. Uh, well, we'll put links to all of those, including the newsletter subscription in the show notes at fascinatingpodcast.com. Uh, Andre, before you go, we uh, like to end our show by recommending some stuff that's fascinating this week. We'd be honored if you'd join us in that. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. We'll let you go last since we sprung it on you. Uh, <laughs> Kathy, what is, uh, what's fascinating you this week? <laughs> So I am fascinated by working the game of frequent flyer miles and loyalty programs. <laughs> how's, it, how's that going? <laughs> have you broken the wheel? No, I have not broken the wheel. I've just gotten sucked in deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, uh, like deeper think, into first class? No. Although, okay, so here's the thing. Loyalty points are only as valuable as when you use them, right? So you can amass all of these points, but really in the end, until you use them, they're nothing. It's worthless. And so I've been saving these miles for a couple of years, thinking one day, I don't know, Peter and I will go somewhere, <laughs> just the two of us. <laughs> and what inevitably happens is I sit there and I go, oh, but the kids would love to come. So this time I just said, you know what, forget it. it I'm not even going to pretend that it's just going to be me and Peter. How far can we get on 160000 frequent flyer miles. Um, and so I haven't broken the wheel, but we managed to get one leg of our trip in first class. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and not because I was amazing at it. It just happened to be the flight that was available. So I'm going to take it. Um, so I've managed to, f four and a half of us, we did have to pay for one leg for Bethany. She'll be flying in from New York, but uh, but it did get me thinking about people who spend a lot of time kind of working the system or waiting for some sort of like credit card enrollment bonus thing and folks who at the end of the year will like take these trips just so they can maintain status mm. on their yeah. on their airline of choice. I, I don't know very many people, but I do know a few. And I'm just, so that to me was fascinating. Like, oh, wow, you literally are going to fly from coast to coast in one day so that you can maintain the status hmm. on your airline of choice. Travel hacks. But I don't know, because I don't have lounge access. So maybe that I, I'm missing out on something. I don't know. So that's what I'm fascinated I, I look by. forward to the day when you get lounge access and we ask you live on air, Kathy, yes. so is it worth it? And you go, I, I can neither confirm nor deny. That. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll know. Yes, we'll you'll know. know. You will. <laughs> How about uh, you, Clay? Yeah. Um, so I'm fascinated by what might happen given the ratings and the popularity and, and the, the attention on GOT. There was an article in, I think, Yahoo somewhere, Yahoo Finance, that was basically saying Netflix should take a cue from Game of Thrones and ditch binge watching for new shows. And I've thought about this over the last few years because we grew up watching just like you watched Lost, just like we watched you know, whatever in the 80s, 90s, you had to wait for that next episode. You had to wait a whole week. I know. <laughs> and, and when it comes down oh to God. it, there's a lot that happens in that space of seven days. It's this chance to 
you know, ponder and, and wonder and discuss. And it creates a very different experience. Whereas uh, this article, and, and I guess anybody who's had this experience, when you binge, you kind of just like, you know, push right through. And without the time for reflection, it changes the experience of engaging with that story. Um, and Stranger Things, interestingly, I think is like Netflix's biggest show that's on the week to week kind of release schedule. And it's doing very, very well. So Stranger Things isn't week to week. No. Oh, they did. No, they did. I no, thought they, they released No, that. they didn't. No, it's all there at once. I'm relatively certain Netflix has not done anything. They do some things week to week. Oh, yeah, like the Joel McHale stuff, like their talk show stuff. Yeah. Never. You're right. You're right. Sorry. Okay, well, maybe I'm wrong on Stranger Things. But in general, um, there is something about that experience of having to wait. That's true, because anytime I watch a binge watch show... And I want to talk about it. So one, it's not like, what do you think of the last episode? It's like, where are you? Right. Which episode was that? Okay. What was the last thing you remember happening? Okay. never mind. Talk to me when you watch two more. Right. 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 (laughs) And and, and I, I I think it would be a good move to bring some of those new shows, uh, Amazon prime, same thing. Right. But, uh, and, and a twofer, um, also on Netflix, we watched Wine Country with all of this SNL alum, Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, Anna Gastmeyer. It's ridiculous and, and funny and just if you just need to turn your brain off and laugh a lot, just watch that wine country movie on Netflix. All right. Nice. Okay. Do you remember me singing the praises of a book called Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky? Yes. Okay. Sp- Is there something book. about spiders in that one? Yes. So it's a sci-fi book where humans are terraforming by employing a virus that accelerates evolution. And this particular planet, things go horribly wrong, and the virus targets spiders. So when the colonists show up, there is a an advanced, like, spacefaring race of evolved spiders. <laughs> <laughs> so that book was great. I knew it. Uh, the sequel, Children of Ruin, just dropped, and uh, it's it's sort of like same song, second verse in a very satisfying way, not in a way that feels redundant or repetitive, uh, but this time it's octopi. Oh, and but you can eat octopi. I guess. <laughs> I mean, can you eat can spiders. eat spiders too. Yeah, Kathy. I was gonna say. Yeah. Um, so, why these books are great is because one, the writing is stellar. Two, uh, the author has done a tremendous amount of research into what a an advanced civilization that organically grew up through the like mesh of these creatures would look like, like. Spiders, for instance, don't really have metal because that requires forging and they don't use fire because everything they do is silk based. So it's just like it's just like too dangerous and they can like they know what it is and stuff, but they just they just don't really mess with it. Um, Octopi have. uh, Did you know that octopi have separate brain for each of their arms? No. Yeah, it's weird. (laughs) Wow. So when I eat them, I'm eating. Maybe. I don't know where the brain is in the arm. I mean, we, we eat, have a well, separate hemisphere for each octopi. of our arms. But the, the idea with an octopus, I'm going way too deep on this because there's supposed to be a recommendation. But <laughs> I guess I guess in the head of the octopus is like sort of almost like an id brain that basically just feels and reacts and kind of does that like 30,000 foot like big picture stuff. And then each individual arm is controlled by a separate brain that is like the executor. That's like, okay, I got the vision. Now let's go make it a reality. It's very strange. Uh, So anyway, like what, what works so great about these books is what happens when sentient life that is so alien to one another that they might not even be able to communicate in a meaningful way? Like what happens when those come into conflict? And then is it possible for us to recognize the other in something that is so different from us? So both of these books end up being really cool exercises in empathy. Uh, and I, just, I think they're great. I think they're really timely. Uh, they're again, just, brilliantly written um so yeah children of time and children of ruin by adrian chachowski those are my picks andre what do you got um i'm actually fascinated with another tv show um great it is totally random i don't know how i found it on netflix but it's called imposters have you heard of it no it is one of bravo's only scripted shows (laughs) really Uh yeah 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 um 
And I can tell you, I can tell you a little bit about it. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but it it begins with this uh, married couple, and one day the husband comes home, and his wife has left him a link that's like Mrs. Jane Doe. I don't remember what their name was, but basically, you know, her her name, her married name. And he clicks on the video, and it's her telling him that she's leaving. He will never find her. If he goes looking, if he goes to the police to try to report a missing person, she's got all this dirt on his family that she'll release. And that's where it begins. And it is like definitely binge worthy. <laughs> wow. That sounds great. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll put links to all those in the show notes. Uh, we would love to hear what you're fascinated by this week. Love to hear what you thought of uh, Game of Thrones, obviously. Uh, Kathy, tell us a little bit about what you've got going on this week for folks that are following you. Yeah, I'm still on Instagram doing a daily book recommendation for Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And apparently I'm recommending books people have never heard of. Mm, So I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. Clay, you got anything in the pipe this week? Yeah, I finished an article over the weekend. I haven't had time to post it, and it's already Wednesday. So that's that's the kind of pace I'm speeding along at. <laughs> um, it's just called How to Know Exactly What Your Audience Wants, and that's going to be up at Medium as soon as I can get it up there. So, yeah, if you, if you, if you read Medium, if you're on Medium, uh, I'm Clay Morgan, PA, and I'd love to connect with you there. Nice. Uh, I will be on the next episode of the Think Christian podcast sharing my thoughts about the documentary Hail Satan. Uh, oh, yes. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Spoiler, I loved it and it's great. So uh, that's what we're working on. We'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes at thefascinatingpodcast.com. Thank you again to our guest, Andre Henry. Make sure you check him out. Follow him on Twitter, follow him on the gram, subscribe to his newsletter. Uh, Andre, we'll have to have you back uh, sometime to talk about uh, things other than Game of Thrones. But it has been a real pleasure to have you on. Thank you for MLK being with Reading us. List is a show in itself. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I'd love it. Thanks for having me. We will be back next week with another great episode. Until then, take care of yourselves out there. Uh, Reach out, let us know what you thought of Game of Thrones, and be well.